Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Friday, January 29th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We talk college sports today with the Star's beat writers, starting with Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore on Kansas. The Jayhawks ended a three-game losing streak by beating TCU on Thursday night, but it was the definition of an ugly victory, and KU remains in search of an identity. We also talk about the football program losing its offensive coordinator to the same job at Middle Tennessee State. Football is also a topic with Missouri and Suichi Tirada. We talk about the Tigers' new defensive coordinator, former NFL head coach Steve Wilkes, and we also get into Mizzou's hoop fortunes. Callis Robinette brings it home, talking Kansas State and where the Wildcats go from here after their awful loss to Baylor earlier in the week. We might even get in a little Super Bowl talk with the folks as well. So let's get started. Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore are here, and I have one simple question. Jesse, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> what is Kansas basketball's identity right now? They're coming off last night's 59-51 victory over TCU. I can't, I can't, it's hard to describe what, what we saw last night. Um, I guess only a loss would have been more stunning. So I asked myself the question after watching the game and listening to the post game, what, what is this team's identity? It's a great question. It's something that we talked about last week on the podcast and how KU and Bill Self sort of need to find themselves. And Bill Self promised a lot of changes and different lineups. And then KU comes out and scores 18 points in the first half against TCU. I guess what I would say it is right now, for better or worse, is Bill Self is going back to what Bill Self is. He thinks that defense is most important. He is going to play guys that take pride on that end. He's going to play guys that play hard on that end. And for all KU's offensive woes, you know, they did hold TCU down. Now, I think if it was a team other than TCU, then KU probably loses that game pretty handily. But I think that they're probably just going to double down on that. I I looked up today on Ken Palm's rankings and KU's adjusted offensive efficiency is 33rd. That's got to be among the worst of the Bill Self era. I think that this staff has to look into doing some things differently offensively to try to get themselves going because right now the guys that they're playing through are inefficient and uh, the shot selection they have is just basically atrocious. So uh, I think more questions need to be answered there and more focus needs to be placed there because offense is really important. I don't care about this defense wins championships uh, you know, mantra that every coach seems to repeat. Offense is really important too and you actually have more control of it than you do the defensive end. So KU needs some help on that end, but I think right now Bill Self kind of wants to get his team back in a mindset focus, and KU did lock down defensively last night, so I guess that's at least one step in the right direction. And and they did play well in the second half. Um, Scored 41 points, shot 50%. Um, You know, in in some years, that's an average half for for Kansas basketball, for most most KU teams. But Gary, um, I thought... I thought uh, Ty and Grant Foster gave him some energy off the bench, as did uh, uh, Dewan Harris. But then Jalen Wilson seemed to be a no-show in in the game. So just kind of break down who who, who the best individuals were on the floor last night. Well, Wilson was 0 for 6, 0 for 3 from 3. Offensively, they were horrific. I mean, uh, 4 out of 17 from 3 won't cut it. Free throws, nine out of 16. So everything that produces points, they were horrible at. Uh, As far as individuals, Grant Foster, who had three turnovers but nine points, to me looked so much more athletic than anybody else on KU's team. It was almost like, oh, this guy's, 
you know, the old time KU athlete in the Bill Self era, an NBA type athlete at least. But um, he was three for five from the line. But as far as individuals, uh, except for defense, I don't think anybody really did anything notable. McCormack and Grant Foster saved them because Grant Foster scored four straight. McCormack hit a three, and that was basically the game. KU finally got up by seven. Two dunks made it ten. And they still tried to blow it at the end. In the last minute, it got down to five. And they were still playing horrifically offensively. So that's about the whole thing. First career three for McCormack, I think. Um, uh, yeah. From, from, uh, with, with the shot clock winding down, I know Bill Self was asked about it after the game. He said, yeah, it was a great shot because there was three yeah. or two seconds left on the, on the shot clock. But Jesse, Gary brings up a good point about uh, Grant Foster bringing the athleticism, um, and and like I said, I, I thought he just brought some energy. But that's I, I'm I'm used to seeing that from Kansas teams, you know, athleticism and energy. And until Grant Foster w- was on the floor, I didn't see a whole lot of it last night. And and I got back, you know, sort sorry, started thinking about previous games, and it's it's not always there for Kansas. Now this, I think this is a lot of what goes back to like the Jalen Wilson conundrum here, which is. KU is not playing in a way to fit Jalen Wilson. Okay. They're playing through Dave McCormick. They're putting a big man on the court at all times. And we've talked about this previously, but they could play five guards. They could have Jalen guard a big man and then have him take advantage of his matchup on the other end, but that's not what they're doing. So recently Jalen has not played well. Um, Again, this is sort of based off of watching television basically, but the body language for him has not been as good as other teammates. He struggled defensively to guard guards. Uh, he struggled to get by guards on the other end. And this thing is sort of kind of, you know, snowballed into something where Kansas hasn't been able to get much from him. But uh, as you mentioned, I I think that's kind of where Bill Self finds himself at this point. I think KU's best offense of ceiling would be to play through Jalen Wilson. But if he's not giving you great effort defensively when things aren't going his way, then Bill Self is going to bench him. And so then you move even more towards a lineup, which is focused on defense and potentially athleticism, like you said with Tom Grant Foster. I, I mentioned this in my column last night, but I think this is a step that KU needs to take. And Bill Self's talked about this. You know, I, you, you, you sort of joked about this with me a few weeks ago. How is the Big 12 race over for Kansas? And I was like, yes, it is. They need to focus on the tournament. But Bill Self has talked about that this week, how he does need to have a different mindset. They do need to figure out a better way to play for the NCAA tournament coming up in six weeks. And I think Tyon Grant Foster, he lowers their floor. I mean, anything can happen when he's on the court. Things could go wild and he could turn it over like crazy or shoot up more threes when he's one for 18. But things can go really well, too. And I I think that's kind of where in the mix-it-up range where Bill Self needs to be. He needs to mix it up where this team has a ceiling to play to of potentially Tyon Grant Foster's athleticism where you're like, oh, this looks like a Kansas team. Even if the floor is a little bit lower where there's times where you're like, man, this team looks like it's never been coached before uh, ever. So, yeah, it's an interesting uh, conundrum for self. But I, I think this Jalen Wilson thing is is sort of emblematic of what's going on with Kansas, which is when he hasn't played well, it's it's less about KU trying to help him and more about Bill Self saying, hey, be a little bit tougher and help the team out in your setting. And then maybe you'll turn around and figure out a way to, uh, to kind of get him in more advantageous positions. How about Harris, though? Um, you know, he obviously brings some some skills, but he's not—he's just not an offensive player. Yeah, he needs uh, 
he needs about 20 more pounds of muscle. <laughs> you know, Bill Self always talks about his weight. And I know he was, Bill Self was frustrated a little bit last night with him guarding the ball. But again, when we talk about conundrum, it's, it's kind of the same thing. To play Dewan Harris, you'd rather play him uh, without Marcus Garrett. But we know Marcus Garrett is going to play. So to play Mark Dewan Harris more minutes, you have to play him with Marcus Garrett. And that puts two non-shooters on the floor, which is very difficult today's day, day and age to do. But you know, I wrote about today in my story, there was a play that KU ran in the first half, a play they've been running for over a decade now under Bill Self. Always seems to work, no matter the point guard, no matter the big man. And it didn't work with Marcus Garrett because he just he doesn't come off the ball screen with any boost. He doesn't really attack the rim. He just seems a little lethargic. And Dewan Harris ran the same play in the second half. It wasn't very open, and he just whipped a pass over to Christian Brown and basically threw him open. Christian Brown did a quick pump fake, got his defender to fly by, and Brown makes the big three, one of the biggest shots of the game. It, it just, we talk about energy, it just was created because Dewan Harris plays with a little bit more energy, a little bit more juice, a, a little bit more fervor. And I, I think that Kansas, yeah, I think they were helped last night. Again, nothing went too right for them. But they were helped by Tyron Grant Foster and Dewan Harris just playing with a little bit more life than they're used to with their other guys. And uh, I, I would potentially think that they're going to play more often if that's going to be the case and they can uh, at least hold their own on the defensive end. And so far, it looks like that they should be able to do that. Well, we, we won't have to wait long to see. Uh, quick turnaround for Kansas. The rare Thursday night game and now a Saturday, uh, uh, is it five or I don't know what the tip five or six five o'clock, o'clock yeah. five p.m. Central Time at at Tennessee, Gary. Um, these teams played each other last year. I remember this game that you look as a boogie had a big game. But what what do we expect from uh, KU Tennessee in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge? Well, uh, Tennessee is known for their de- its defense. Uh, they're sixth in the country in points allowed. Uh, so KU could Bill Self cut a joke last night that a team that could barely score 20 points and a half now is trying to beat a defensive minded team like Tennessee. So, uh, Tennessee's nine and two at home. They let in about 4,500 fans. Uh, I remember going down there for, for that game where KU lost the only game they've ever lost to Tennessee and, and, uh, those people do want blood, so um, <laughs> they will not feel sorry for an offensively challenged KU team that's going to have to play well because Tennessee's had several days off. They're waiting for them. They've well scouted them. KU's mainly just going down there to play ball. You know, they put everything into this TCU game because Self knew, you know, a four-game losing streak around here would be total Armageddon. So now they're just going down to play, and and maybe Egbaji and Wilson will start hitting threes, but and Christian Brown too, who hit that big one last night. But aside, you know, they got to start clicking offensively because Tennessee will probably bring it on defense. Yeah, tough opponent to to find your offense against. But Tennessee hasn't been playing great either the last couple of weeks. No. So Missouri went in yeah. there and and knocked them around pretty good last weekend. So um, interesting game. Uh, I know historically Bill Self, not, not a big fan of the challenge series, you know, in the middle of, uh, of conference play, but here it is. Hey uh, guys, let's, let's switch it real quick. And Jesse, I wanted to ask you about uh, KU losing its offensive coordinator, Brent Deerman going to middle Tennessee state. 
uh, for the same job. He's not going to become the head coach. He's going to become the offensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee State. I, from a perception standpoint, it's 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 not a great look. And what, what's your interpretation of, of why it happened and, um, and and where Kansas goes from here? Yeah, I, I mean, it's probably good to take a step back. And you're right. The headline, you know, KU offensive coordinator leaves to go to Conference USA school is not good. You know, that that just based off that appearance, that's not going to be something that uh, KU is going to put on a newsletter anytime soon. But a lot of factors at play here, uh, one of which, which I've been told, uh, and and trust this source on this is that there are potentially family things that uh, back in Tennessee that that Brent Neerman wants to attend to, um, and uh, you know his family or you know his extended family I should say you know has some ties back to that area, so that's at least a factor with it. You know, having said that, it's it's one of those things where you believe that, but you also know the reality of the situation, which is if things were going really, really well at Kansas, then sometimes those things become much less of an issue. And with Brent Neerman specifically, you know, he's the OC at Kansas for one and a half years, young guy, energetic, um, was great in press conferences, you know, loved to kind of share the game, talk, you know, has been part of a, a lot of these coaching clinics, things like that. But uh, the Kansas thing was sort of interesting. You know, he got hired mid-season and uh, during the bye week after Les Kenning was uh, fired by Les Miles. And the contract he signed was one of the worst in Power Five. Had to be, um, you know, he he two hundred fifty thousand dollars is what he made as KU's offensive coordinator. That was less than I think even other people on the offensive coaching staff for Kansas. And then uh, the buyout was five hundred thousand dollars on his end if he wanted to leave Kansas. And KU has team options on him or had team options on him for all the way from like twenty twenty two to twenty twenty six. So basically, he was stuck in Lawrence unless he wanted to pay five hundred thousand dollars. Uh, for as long as KU wanted him. So it was a really kind of lousy contract uh, that he signed to begin with. So I, I, th- I could have played into this factor where, uh, you know, kind of some feelings of that, that not feeling very appreciated there. Uh, but, you know, again, Kansas didn't do very well. Uh, maybe potentially uh, the family thing had something to do with it. But as you mentioned, Blair, it's just the bottom line is it's not a good perception for Kansas. It's not a good time you want to be hiring an offensive coordinator. They just hired an O-line coach. So now you're going to bring in an offensive coordinator who's working with a whole staff that's already in there. Uh, to me, again, KU can go out there and look around if they want to and try to figure out uh, a potential candidate and, and trying to fill in that role. But it might make sense to just promote somebody from within and try to keep this thing as cohesive as possible, especially with some recruits on the line too. So I, I don't know. This is a bad situation for Kansas, but a lot of factors at play. I, I'm not sure we'll ever get to the complete bottom of it, but there were definitely a lot of things going on. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be Super Bowl heavy next week on Sports BKC. I don't know if we're going to get a chance to uh, to chat college hoops, but I've been trying to find. I don't. I don't think there's a KU, a strong KU connection in the Super Bowl this year from the Chiefs or the Buccaneers. Not that I can think of. Uh, obviously, Les Miles. Yeah, yeah, Les Miles is talking about the five players that he coached that are in the game, but those are all LSU guys. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Once in a while, you get a you'll get a KU player in the Super Bowl, but it's just not going to happen this year. So. Okay, listen, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, you will hear from uh, Suichi Torada, who covers uh, the Missouri Tigers and Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State. So, uh, Jesse, Gary, great talking to you, and we'll do it again soon. Hi, Chiefs fans. This is Clark Hunt. If you have an urgent orthopedic or sports injury, the University of Kansas Health System is open, safe, and has extended hours to see you quickly. You deserve champion treatment from the experts who treat the Chiefs. 
Request an appointment at kansashealthsystem.com slash sportsmedicine. We're proud that the University of Kansas Health System is the official healthcare provider of the Chiefs. So Ichi Tarada covers Missouri for us, and you have covered pretty interesting basketball team the last few weeks. Well, all season, really, Suichi, but the last few games have been really crazy. Talk about up and the up and downness of a team in, in a season. We've seen that from Missouri. Last impression, of course, the loss at Auburn, but right before that, a great win at Tennessee. So where are we with Missouri basketball? Um, I Listen, I still think they're a top 25 team. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely do think they are a top 25 team. Jesse Newell, our KU writer, also agrees with us. Um, I know Mizzou fans like to get in on that. But, uh, yeah, I I think it's kind of a weird thing just because that Auburn game especially just makes you – it's a little bit of a take back just because Auburn is one of the youngest teams in the nation and Mizzou is one of the oldest teams in the nation. So – the, the role reversal was was a little bit weird to see but i still think if you took if you took kind of the last few weeks in a in kind of an overarching view you you'll feel a little better uh, especially if you look at that road trip between tennessee and and auburn and if you going into it i think you, you said hey mizzou is going to go one and one everyone that's that's right about where they would have expected and two and oh, i think would have been a little just on top so i think that looks fine i think one of the biggest things player and it's kind of a weird thing and i know it's a pandemic but mizzou has played so so many road games this sec season and it's not the conference you know being going against mizzou or anything just the 10-day COVID pause what ended up happening was mizzou was supposed to host vanderbilt and lsu and so instead they just kept chugging on the schedule and so it ended up being Mizzou's first for, of the first seven games, SEC games they play. Uh, five of them have been on the road, and five of six, if you know, if you include just the last six games. So I, I really think you know that that just weighs on you. You know the way the Tennessee road trip went; they actually didn't fly home; they just went from Knoxville to Auburn. So it's just a lot of grinding. Uh, Mizzou has three home games coming up now, so I think it's it's a nice time to kind of reset mentally there and. and get your home fans uh, reduced capacity crowd kind of behind you as uh, you head toward the second half of the season here. Can we spend a minute talking about Sharif Cooper? <laughs> that, that guy, that guy is phenomenal. The freshman yeah. guard for Auburn just was a one man wrecking crew. Mm-hmm. Again, listen, I know Auburn blocked a ton of shots and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I know Jeremiah Tillman missed a bunch of free throws and Mizzou missed a bunch of three pointers, but the, my, I came away from that game going with my, jaw dropped to how good Sharif Cooper was and part of it was I think he benefited from a from a game in which a lot of ticky-tack fouls were called mm. nevertheless uh, does does he remind you of anybody or could, is he on his way to reminding you of someone at the next level he because I don't I don't know if I've seen a freshman quite like him yeah yeah Blair it's it's a great point it, you know if you put his stats into perspective it's a little Jaw dropping. I'm looking at it now. He made five field goals, no threes, and he's and he scored 28 points because he went to the free throw line 21 times. So he he was incredible, and I think I was I came away impressed that he did a little bit of everything, and that he he obviously he's a he's a great playmaker. He had seven assists, but he also had eight rebounds. Um, he was uh, let me let me pull it up just to be accurate, but he was a staggering plus 20 in 28 minutes and in a wow. six point game. That is. Kind of jaw dropping. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little shocking. I don't know about player comparison. I think you'd look at somebody who who's a little bit more of a facilitator, maybe a quicker. You know, I I think Rajon Rondo has kind of 
his his reputation has kind of diminished. But when he was at the top of his game in his prime with the Celtics, uh, he he was really good, and I think you might see a little bit of that at a Cooper. Cooper's probably a little bit of a better shooter and scorer, but Rondo and his knack of getting assists was a uh, in his prime was very impressive. So maybe that would be a good one. But yeah, I mean Blair. It, we, we need to mention the free throws is Cooper, but I just think the fact that he was able to get to the paint pretty much at will off of those ball screens really helped him out, I think. So it's not just that he got a few ticky-tack fouls. I think he was playing really well, too. And uh, it seemed to me, you know, and I don't think anybody would argue that he was the best player in the court in his sixth collegiate game as a freshman. So that was uh, quite the <laughs> performance from from a very, very young, very exciting player to watch. Yeah, look, I, I, I think Missouri had to foul him just to, to slow him down a little bit because um, the way he got mm-hmm. to the basket a few times, especially in, in the second half. Anyway, just a guy to keep your eye on and um, looks like he's going to be a, a wonderful talent. So, okay, Sweetie, let's switch gears and, and talk football a little bit. Let's start with the latest, uh, the, the newcomer to the Tigers. They got a nice, a nice get, as, um, mm-hmm. as they say, with, uh, with a junior college cornerback, uh, uh, number five rated guy nationally. Is that what I saw? Yeah, it's so a number five rated JUCO guy. So he's coming out of junior college. Uh, yeah. Javarius Perkins, that's who we're talking about, cornerback. Uh, you know, it was kind of a little – his recruitment was essentially, I believe, uh, the dates are kind of uh, jumbled up sometimes. Um, but I believe he was supposed to commit on Christmas, but then he ended up making it private. And then um, it ended up being that he's already enrolled at Mizzou. And he's uh, he'll be – you know, he's already on campus and everything. He'll be uh, – there for spring ball once it starts in late February. So great get for Mizzou. Um, very kind of a kind of a very busy week for Mizzou football, including you know signing, uh, you know getting a new defensive coordinator, getting a new defensive line coach, and this uh, ten million dollar gift they just received for indoor practice facilities. So even in a uh, late January, Mizzou football is making some noise, which I think is always a good sign and kind of a kind of a change uh, compared to past seasons, maybe where uh, Elijah Rukas is. It's kind of making his own his own noise and, and excitement around the program. Yep. So Jadarius Perkins is the guy. He will play um, for the new defensive coordinator, and that is Steve Wilkes, mm-hmm. who, uh, who who took a year off from football this past season. But I got to tell you, Suichi, you, you were not here when he was the head coach. The one season he was the head coach of the the Arizona Cardinals, but he was in 2018. He brought the Cardinals to Arrowhead Stadium, and that was the year that that was Patrick Mahomes' MVP season, his first full year as a starter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 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 Mahomes was killing everybody, just just tearing people up. And Arizona comes in here, and Arizona's not having a good season. I think Jeff Rosen was their quarterback, and they they weren't going to win many games. They ended up three and thirteen, and Wilkes got fired after that year. But I can't believe how good the defensive game plan was by this, you know, nondescript Cardinals team that came in here to Arrowhead that day and put the clamps on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense. They ended up winning, I think it was 26 to 14. But I just, you know, it had me scrambling to look for information about him because I hadn't heard of Steve Wilkes until the mm-hmm. week of the game. And, and of course, I find out, first of all, he's an Appalachian State guy, so <laughs> we, we know he's a good dude. We absolutely know he's a good dude. But um, what, what, are the, what are the Tigers getting with, uh, with uh, Steve Wilkes, and, uh, and what are they paying him? Because that's, that's significant, too. Yeah, he is the highest ever paid MU assistant coach uh, in, in program history. Uh, he The first year, basically, is a $2.4 million contract over two years. Uh, the first year's base salary is 800000 There's a $200,000 retention bonus. Then the second year, the base salary is bumped up to a $1 million and two separate 
uh, retention bonuses. So that's 2.4 million as long as my math is correct. A uh, lot, lot of money. I wish I went into football coaching instead. Uh, but yeah, uh, Blair, Steve Wilkes, I think, you know, um, I, I'm glad you mentioned his time in Arizona. Obviously, it didn't go well. But the thing that I kind of maybe was a little struck by when I was doing my research on him was that he, he was a pretty hot commodity during some of the few cycles ahead of him being, you know, going into Arizona just because he's a Ron Rivera, you know, comes from that tree. And, and he spent, I believe, five, six seasons in Carolina working his way up from positional coach to two defensive coordinator with the Panthers. And, and obviously he kind of got that opportunity ahead coaching. I, I, I really think this is, you know, I, th- I think when you hear Steve Wolf, Mizzou fans might not be as familiar just because he did spend so much time in the NFL game and everything. But this is a guy who has decades of coaching experience. And I know he hasn't been in the college ring since 2000, uh, 2005, the last time I believe was with Washington. But this is a guy who knows football. He took a year off specifically just to, to look at film and, and offensive tendency, tendencies and all these things. So I think it's an impressive hire. I think the thing that kind of intrigues me is how he's going to coach, go from coaching multi-million millionaire, multi-millionaires yeah. to, to college athletes. You know, it's, it, it's a different dynamic. And especially because you are coaching grown men in the NFL. I mean, these, these guys, you know, can be 30, 35 in some rare cases. And, and as we know with Tom Brady at, I think 43, right? Something crazy. So they're more mature. They know what's happening. They're more secure financially. Whereas with college students, you know, you're, you're dealing with an 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, the most mature player is, is going to be 22, 23, maybe. And they would be a rookie in, in the NFL. So it's just, it's a different dynamic. I'm curious to see how it goes. I'm curious to see how he recruits. That's such a big part of the college game as well. But overall though, I think from, you know, 10,000 feet uh, looking, looking big picture, I, th- I think the zoo fans should be pretty happy with the hire there. Absolutely. I agree. Hey, the, the SEC schedules, football schedules for 2021 were released, and then the schools, of course, released them as well. Anything stand out to you about Mizzou's football schedule uh, that starts on September 4 with a home game with Central Michigan? Mm, yeah. Uh, first thing, Central Michigan, right? Yeah, I'm a Michigan guy, yep. so I'd like, love to see that. <laughs> uh, but I, I really think you look at the first few games of that schedule, and you're and you're looking at and I don't want to say it's going to happen, but your first maybe, you know, hard game, I guess, or where you might not be quite favored is that Texas A&M game, which is the seventh game. So 6-0 and looks looks very possible just because you got the four non-conference games um, and, and your Power 5 opponent this year is Boston College at Boston College. So that's kind of an interesting game. But you have Kentucky. You're at Kentucky and you're at Tennessee. Obviously, Kentucky, Mizzou beat last year, and I think they're going to look to continue that momentum. Um, and Tennessee, you know, they, they hired former Mizzou offense coordinator Josh Heupel. So you, you you look at those two SEC programs, you're like, okay, these are winnable games. And next thing you know, who knows what what, what it'll be like going into that uh, Texas A&M game on October 16th. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Uh, and plus, you get Georgia and Florida late. So I, I, I think if you're in Mizzou, you kind of like that being like just because you'll know more about who you are as a team and, and – you can kind of make some noise early in the rankings uh, as long as you take care of business early. Okay, can't let you go without talking a little Super Bowl. I count two Missouri players uh, on the combined rosters of the Chiefs mm-hmm. and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, Blaine Gabbert, backup quarterback to Tom Brady in, in uh, Tampa Bay, and then Yazer Durant, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. We haven't had a chance to talk to him this year, but mm-hmm. a reserve offensive lineman for the Chiefs who has you know gotten some snaps this year because of the – offensive line injuries for for Kansas City. Am I, am I, I'm not missing anybody, am I? I believe that's it. Uh, I have a fun Blaine Gabbert story. I actually, when he was 
the backup quarterback at the with the Tennessee Tennessee Titans. I talked to him for a little bit, and he was very nice to me. I asked him about uh, the third string quarterback, uh, Luke Falk, at the time, who came from Washington State. So um, he was a nice guy, though. Uh, but yeah, Yasir Durant. That's how you, I believe you said. Um, and Blaine Gabbert. So that should be kind yeah. of a fun little wrinkle for Mizzou fans. It's always so you know some Missouri player is going to win a Super Bowl ring, and that that doesn't happen every year. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Suichi, great catching up with you, and we will talk to you again probably after the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, thanks, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Callis Robinette covers Kansas State, and that's not been much fun lately uh, when it comes to when it comes to men's basketball. Uh, I looked at the standings. The Wildcats are one and eight in the league, five and twelve overall. They got the Big Twelve SEC matchup this weekend against Texas A and M, but. What a gloomy season, Callis, and the worst of it may have just come uh, recently this week against Baylor. Well, if you're looking for any bright side right now, it's that they are done playing Baylor. Unless they meet <laughs> the Big Show Championship, they do not have to give up 100 points to Baylor again this season. So that's no, no more Bears. And, and, the, and Kansas State is ahead of Iowa State. That would be one other positive. In the Big Show there you go. Turns out that Baylor loss on uh, Wednesday night was epic in in a wrong way for for the Wildcats, wasn't it? It was. Their uh, previous uh, record for largest margin of defeat was 47, set in the 30s uh, against Oklahoma. And they surpassed that last night. They lost by 48. So the most lopsided, statistically worst loss they've ever had. Um, and it, the sad thing is it really could have been worse. Baylor scored 107 points. It's the most ever in regulation of a Big 12 conference game. And uh, had, had Scott Drew really wanted to, he probably could have gotten, I don't know, 130 if he'd have left his guys in. It was uh, quite a show they were putting on. Yeah, quite a mismatch. And, you know, it, it defines the you know what the Big 12 is about this year. The, there are just some terrific teams at the top and just under the top. And then there are some some teams at the bottom or, you know, just under the, you know, the or j- just above the bottom that, that can't compete. And K-State's one of those this year. You know, you and I will talk after the Super Bowl in, in greater length about Bruce Weber and his future. But my question to you now is, is there, you know, over the last, you know, several weeks of the regular season, what, what do you need to see from Kansas State to to believe that they're, you know, that, that there is a future um, that, uh, that that's going to be better than what we're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, you got to see some improvement. Um, and statistically speaking, there's got to be at least some level because they've they've lost seven in a row. The last six have all been by double digits. Um, so it's hard to keep up that kind of futility. Um, 
but I mean, there is hope. Uh, they, they did get Nigel Pack back against Baylor. He was their uh, freshman starting point guard. He's back in the starting lineup. And with him back now, um, you know, all, COVID is pretty much behind him. Injuries are pretty much behind him. Moving forward, they should have 11 scholarship players. They're going to be uh, pretty much at full strength, which is what they've been kind of looking forward to all year. So, you, you know, the, the question at least I have is, is what, what is this team capable of doing when they're at full strength? And when they don't have to play Baylor, um, and we're about to find out. I mean, the, Ken Palm gave Kansas State a 1% chance at beating Baylor. So you can gripe all you want about the, the final score, but they were never going to win that game. Their upcoming game against Texas A&M, well, Ken Palm's given them a 45% chance. Um, much, much more evenly, uh, much more even of a matchup coming up. So if, if you want to know what Kansas State is about, pay attention to this game. If they can win it, build some momentum, and uh, you know, play some play some of these teams tougher. Maybe maybe beat Iowa State if that game gets rescheduled. Beat one of these other teams like Kansas or Texas that's uh, not quite as good as Baylor. Then maybe that signals that uh, th- this thing is going in the right direction. And if this team sticks together, better days will come ahead. But if, if the losses keep mounting, the exact opposite could happen. Right and. The Aggies are um, they're tied for twelfth in the SEC right now. They're they're uh, seven and seven overall, two and six in the league. They're just ahead of uh, winless Vanderbilt uh, in in the SEC. So, all right, Kellis, it's pretty much the perfect matchup then. And I mean, it who is. Does, who does the right. conferences for scheduling that? <laughs> That's right. I was mad when I originally saw A and M because we always see see A and M. But yeah, this is I mean, yeah, other than Vanderbilt, this is the the game to watch. It is. All right, can't let you go without talking Super Bowl, um, Kellis, because we won't talk again uh, before the Super Bowl. I, uh, what are the what are the K State connections with this year's Super Bowl? Well, the big one is obviously Byron Pringle, um, who plays wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. He uh, actually is from Tampa um, yeah. originally, so it's it's kind of a neat, you know, going back uh, to that area for him. And uh, I, I still kind of remember that he was. Uh, you know, an interesting story. He, he was old when he got to Kansas State. He was uh, pretty much like 25 when he decided to leave. But uh, he, he had a little bit of a troubled background. A lot of schools didn't want to take him. He had to go JUCO. Kansas State didn't really even know if they wanted him. Um, but Andre Coleman, their old uh, receivers coach, really, really backed him and said, hey, uh, went, went to Bill Snyder and said, hey, we got to take this guy. He's going to be good. He's learned his lessons. He's going he's gonna to fly right and be a great, great student here. And, you know, credit to Kansas State staff for identifying that. Um, I was skeptical when they brought him in, but he was, uh, by all accounts, a great student athlete, really helped Kansas State, had 1,300 receiving yards, had a really good game when they upset Oklahoma State down in Stillwater once. And I think everybody is here ha- is, is very happy to see him uh, having some su- success in the NFL, and, and they'd love to promote it if he can get a second, second ring here. I'll have to look. Um, I believe he started in the uh, – Either the, the the divisional round game or the AFC Championship game for the Chiefs, and he doesn't make many starts. But with Sammy Watkins out, and the Chiefs must have started an extra wide receiver. I did see his name in the starting lineup. It doesn't mean as much in the NFL because mm-hmm. it just kind of depends on you know what you're what you're going with on that the first play or first series. But that's a that's a neat uh, a neat thing for him to have started a playoff game. And I, listen, I, I think he's a guy who uh, to keep an eye on going forward for the Chiefs if they don't bring back Sammy Watkins next year. He's Byron Pringle's somebody who could kind of get his you know his, his snaps in um, for the Chiefs next season. So you're right. All 
Go ahead. I was going to say, he really does seem like um, a perfect fit for like a number four, number five receiver in the NFL. He's never going to get, get out there and, you know, be like Tyreek Hill or something, uh, making enough plays to show up on, on somebody's fantasy team. But he, he's, a, he's a really good glue guy. And he, he's a heck of a player on special teams. Um, he returned a lot of kicks or touchdowns at Kansas State. I believe he had one this year for the Chiefs. So a really versatile player who doesn't mind blocking. And when he does get his chances, he'll get out there and make uh, make some catches. Yep. Okay, we'll keep an eye on Byron Pringle in Super Bowl 55. Kellis, thanks for, uh, thanks for the time, and we'll talk again soon. All right, look forward to it, player. That'll do it for today and this week on Sportsbeat KC. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Jesse Newell, Gary Bedore, Suichi Tirada, and Kellis Robinette for talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we have another deal for you, especially for those that want a deeper dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage and what a time to join in. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. For three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to KansasCity.com slash SportsPass2020. That's KansasCity.com slash SportsPass2020. Hey, do you want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.com kansascity.com slash subscribe and if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers send me an email bkirkoff at kcstar.com i will get you to the right place so whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in kansas city and helping us produce programs like sports bkc thanks for listening and we'll be back on monday with another episode a week full of super bowl coverage here on sports bkc hope you'll join us